You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Okay. The series of conversations, Confessions of a Pastor, continue. I'm in Portola Valley right now with the mobile cords. The mo- <laughs> It's like a bunch of <laughs> tinkled cords. It looks like Clark Griswold's Christmas lights. <laughs> and I am in a building that is known as the Valley Presbyterian Church. And it is a really well-known Bay Area wedding destination. True. I've been here many, many times. And I'm sitting with Jenny Warner, who... Funny, I met Jenny because I was doing a video project, and Jenny's the pastor of Valley Presbyterian Church, and I was filming a a bunch of pastors who were in this kind of fellowship cohort thing about their experience on the retreat, and we just connected, and I was hearing about your experience and what you do, and like, oh, wow, you're really close to where I live. You know, it just took me 15 minutes to get here, and we synced up for coffee one time, and we, you know talked about all these different relationships that we're connected to and things that we've been through. It was really, really cool. And then you all came to our uh, October film screening with Brave Maker. So it's cool, all these different connections. So I, I, I told Jenny, all right, we're doing this series on confessions and I, I want to hear from a woman, pastor, and all the good junk <laughs> you've had to persevere through because I know it's not easy. Number one, being a woman in the world, but number two, being a woman in ministry, which is it's ridiculous, but it's true. So true. How, how do you even start uh, this conversation when you hear about like, oh, I have to talk about what it's like to be a woman and be a pastor? Does that feel exhausting? Does that feel like empowering? What thoughts come to your mind? I think I'm used to it now because I've chose to be in a church where there's a lot of female pastors. Mm-hmm. And so... It's been my reality for the last eight, ten years, and yet I didn't grow up with any women pastors. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear a woman that was ordained preach, I think, until I was in college. Wow. And then, you know, it was another ten years before I heard another one. So um, I'm aware of uh, how different it feels for some people and how out of the box. I often say it's not just the theology you have to work through in terms of what you think about women uh, in all roles in the church, but also there's a almost a psychological getting used to it, you know, mm-hmm. and hearing a woman's voice and what does that mean. Um, so when I step back, I'm always so grateful for the privilege mm-hmm. of it, and there's been moments where I'm aware of what a privilege it is to speak from a woman's perspective, to read scripture, to preach from that, and how rare that can be for many people in the world to hear that kind of voice, um, you know in those roles. So. It is. It's, it's sad that it's rare, yeah. uh, but that's that's our reality. Mm-hmm. I, I went to school in Chicago, and I remember, I think I've told this story before in the podcast, but there were probably just as many men as there were women in our biblical studies classes. And I often, I mean, I was clueless to this issue. I didn't grow up in a church culture that... Um, either spoke one thing or the other. We had women pastors. Uh, I had a woman youth pastor. And so I didn't really have a gauge for that, you know? And it was a very small, limited experience. But when I got to college, I know that was a big topic of conversation. And I would often probably cause more damage by just going, I don't get it. What's the, what's the big deal? Like, why is it such an issue yeah. for you? Because I didn't, you know, have to push through those mm-hmm. those boundaries and, and conquer those obstacles. So I, I guess I wonder, like, you know, as a place for us to start... 
Um, so, well, first of all, it sounds like you have a great community here where it's really not an issue. It's right. not something you're having to defend, you know, that you need pulpit time or whatever. So that's a good thing. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I just hired another woman as a pastor. So we actually have primarily female voices here, awesome. which is a really wow. interesting place to be. Wow. Um, but exciting. To... But you didn't hear a woman preach until college, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what was it like trying to figure out you felt the call, but didn't seeing represent, not seeing representation, not seeing a real place for you or a person that was already doing that? How did you navigate through that? Right. I mean, it's interesting that it ended up being men who invited me mm-hmm. to cool. find the calling. And um, I was in a denomination, one that you and I share, uh, Roots In, and uh, the pastor there said, you know, you seem to have a lot of opinions and thoughts on scripture, and maybe you should preach sometime. And I had never, I had changed my theological perspective, but I never thought it would be me. Um, so I started preaching occasionally at that church about quarterly um, I was meeting with the pastor every week to talk about his sermons. I ended up being the first woman on their leadership team. So all of this kind of came to me and happened apart from me ever deciding this is something I wanted to do. And so it really felt like something that was God's work in mm-hmm. me. You know, it was like, oh, this isn't something I asked for. Mm-hmm. Even though I had a different theological perspective, I probably had bias around women that wanted to do that kind of thing. Like, you know, feminists or they, you know, wanted to, I don't know, wanted certain kind of power or authority. And, um, and yet when it happened to me, it was like, oh no, this is like, this is really actually the gift of the spirit for me. And seeing God show up in that was as much a surprise to me as it was to everybody else. Um, so. So would you have at one point maybe discouraged other women to seek that call because you felt like theologically you had, a certain position around that, or was it more like subconscious? I had a friend in college that wanted to be a pastor, and I just, I didn't really have it. I mean, I just, you know, it was kind of always like she was an oddity. Like, why would you want to do that? And she was just out of what the rest of us were thinking about, which was, you know, finding a nice Christian man and, you know, (laughs) being a teacher Uh or a, I mean, I came from a really conservative place or being a missionary. So I remember just thinking that was odd. Um, and she just seemed so strong and powerful and sure of herself. And, and this just was something that was really odd to me at the time. Um, so it's kind of funny to think of myself in that way. But that's, yeah, it wasn't because of that. It was really, you know, like, wow, when I speak, things happen in uh-huh. people's hearts. And God seems to be working. And so, um, you know, following that um, rather than following I don't know, some sort of agenda, which is what I thought before. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had these opportunities to speak on this quarterly type of Mm -hmm. basis and you were, it sounds like you were enjoying it, you were seeing some success, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like, did you ever brush up against any tension or obstacles from that and how did you deal with it? Yeah, I've had people walk out um, of, you know, when I'm preaching, particularly in those early days. Mm you know, I've definitely had some raised eyebrows, you know, I guess I'm fortunate to look younger than I am. So there's a lot of like, oh, wait, you're the senior pastor. <laughs> um, and so I get a lot of that, which I don't think even a, a guy who looked, you know, in his 30s um, mm-hmm. would get that like I do. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and there's all sorts of moments. There's, I would say, you know, lots of little microaggressions that happen mm-hmm. and still to this day, um, 
I, you know, am familiar with kind of that feeling of being mansplained. They yeah. say, you know, where yeah. someone in the congregation wants to take me out and kind of tell me how it should be. And um, <laughs> so I've just had to uh. to learn how to, to navigate that. Um, and I've learned over time that I usually can gain their respect. Um, but uh, it's... That's never fun. Yeah. Yeah. So someone comes to you, let's say, and they're the person maybe who would walk out still today. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, I'm sure you would, but do you engage with them in a conversation and say, could I help you understand a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Could I could I bring you into my story? Do you feel as if that's not something you want to spend your time doing? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a good use of time. Right. How do you handle that? I think on an individual level, I'm always up for a conversation about it. Uh-huh. And I and I say what I said earlier. You know, there is the theological issue, and growing up where I grew up, I, that that is a theo- that's a that's a theological you know perspective that people hold, and I respect that. Um, in that sense, it's not mine, and then come to have come to very different perspectives, but um, but also challenging them to think about you know what may be actually just what they're used to, um, what may be some hidden issues of misogyny, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't use that word particularly, but I think they're, you know, that that's part of it. Um, I chose really intentionally to enter into a denomination in the Presbyterian Church USA where I don't have to deal with it on a systemic issue. And, and not only that, it's not just that women are allowed to preach, it's just, it's that we are actually advocated for that Mm. when we put together committees or any sort of church leadership, we're looking for equity of all kinds across Mm -hmm you know, gender, race, sexual orientation. So mm-hmm. it's just not something I have to deal with on a systemic issue. And there's other people that feel called to stay in those places. For me, I just didn't want to have to deal with that yep. and didn't feel like that was my calling in the world was to have to keep fighting that battle. So That's such a relief. I just hear that and I feel a sense of relief mm-hmm. for, you, for you, but mm-hmm. for others too. I mean, I think there are people listening to this podcast who... Maybe they don't, they don't even have a, a, an official vocational role, but they're a volunteer, they're a parishioner, congregant, however you call yourself. They're a part of a church that doesn't recognize them, whether you're a woman or you're an LGBT person or you're just a person of color in a predominantly white community. You are constantly bombarded with these thoughts, these these these, these realities that I'm not welcome in in a, you know at, at the table or in a position of leadership or whatever. And some, I think, just resolve to just stay and don't do anything about it. And I, I feel for them. Mm-hmm. And and some go, okay, I'm going to try to fight this fight. But I, gosh, I've, I haven't heard a ton of stories of people who have fought who have come out on the other side, mm-hmm. sadly. Mm-hmm. I feel because of what you, you acknowledge, there's just a system of brokenness. There's an unjust system mm-hmm. and there's policies and there's denominations you know, there, there's a local church, but they also report to a regional, you know, mm-hmm. governmental system that reports to a national. And I guess I would want to gracefully encourage people, uh, if you are in that space, I mean, Jenny, just even acknowledging there's denominations who would gladly welcome you right, and absolutely. take you on yeah. and give you the freedom and what a relief it would be. Not that we don't need people fighting and changing the systems. But sadly, I think it takes so much energy and time when you can come over to this community and go, oh, <laughs> free, freely to be who you were created right. to be. I mean, I don't know. What do you, how would you respond to that? Yeah, and I think, well, to add to that, um, you know, growing up is a good evangelical and looking outside the church, you know, being about 
um, the gospel in the world, um, to use the word, um, I realized people outside the church didn't care. So this was mostly a battle mm. that was being fought by church people, mm. um, mostly, and and really was contradicting and taking away from my capacity and my energy to mm. be out in the world, loving people, you know, opening spaces for them to experience wholeness and experience Christ. And, um, and so that was another big thing was like, wait, these people don't even care. And these are the people that we are mm. serving, you know, in, in a large part, especially um, coming again from where I came from. So that was another thing for me. It's like, this just isn't worth my time. Wow. So. Um, That's deep. That is really good right yeah. there. But on the other hand, I mean, it did require me to leave a yeah. lot of relationships or to leave space of deep misunderstanding mm. um, and things we just don't talk about in certain long-term friendships in my family. So I don't want to say I just casually left because actually it was a process of a lot of grief mm. and um, pain. Um and, and the fact that I am felt called to be a pastor meant that I had to do that in a really mm-hmm. decisive way. I couldn't just stay as a good volunteer in a church. You know, right. I was really called to, to be a pastor. So that, that meant a very definite shift for me. I think that's a good point. Probably one that I didn't acknowledge earlier is that I get why someone might want to stay. Because mm-hmm. there's two different options. It's stay and just deal and fight. And maybe I feel even invigorated by that fight. But if I leave, then I really do have to give up a lot right. in people and relationships. Right. And, you know, I, I've talked about this on this podcast, but even just leaving in a good way, in some way from the church I was a part of, but now lifting up and elevating different values, mm-hmm. I have felt a severing and mm-hmm. a grief and a very interesting um, awareness of what I had to say goodbye to. And that's not easy. Um, but I love that you could recognize, oh, but it's there's a compensation when I recognize there's all these other people that I'm gaining, these people that I've longed to care for and help and bring wholeness to. Right. Um, as I was driving here, I had a memory, I think, I think a while back. So this is in a beautiful part of the Bay Area. It's right off of um, 280, Highway 280, and it's called Portola Valley, which is an affluent community. And this building has been around for quite some time. 60 years. 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so nice, beautiful facility. Um, but it also has sort of this, this affiliation with the Presbyterian. Which part of the Presbyterian? Presbyterian Church USA. USA. DC USA. And they are very diverse and uh, welcoming and inclusive, yes. Mm-hmm. And maybe yes. have been for a while. Yes. But I remember driving here, well, uh, as I drove here, I remember at one point a while back having... I don't know, did you guys have a, a, a banner outside that said, all are welcome? Yeah, it's still out there in the building. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, years ago, I remember those words were very intentional to mm-hmm. communicate to a people that weren't normally included in the church, mm-hmm. the LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was not in an affirming place and I was, you know, we were, our church was having these conversations that it was almost like I should have stayed away from churches like here. Right. Right. Because you all were doing things that were, um, you know, controversial. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just had that flood of a Mm -hmm. feeling as I came in going, wow, like how I, I was at a place where I missed it. Yeah. And here there are churches that are progressive that are trying to move the gospel, the good news, the love of God into and for all people. Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you, you know, how did you make sense of all that yourself? Was it just, 
uh, a, a process of mm-hmm. you recognizing in your own life, you know, as a pastor, as a woman? Was it you having real relationships with people? Was it all? around the LGBTQ? Yeah, community. and just being a part of a church that was doing this type of progressive work in the world. Right. Uh, that was, you know, that was one of the later things I think for me to shift. Um, and it happened actually while I was in seminary. And I think for many years, I was just confused about what I thought about it. It didn't feel right to, um, to have a strong opinion against, um, folks that were LGBTQ. And yet at the same time, I was confused by Mm -hmm. the theology I'd grown up with and the ways I was thinking about it. So a few things changed my mind. Um, one was being in seminary with a very dear friend, um, who's now a Presbyterian pastor as well, and seeing how deep his faith was and how clear his calling was and uh, recognizing how I could no longer, kind of like I had put women in a certain category that wanted to preach, I could no longer put people um, who were gay in a certain category. And uh, so he really began to shift, kind of soften my heart. And then I had a great conversation with a guy named Jack Rogers, who was one of the original kind of evangelical um, mainline people to really advocate for LGBTQ full inclusion in the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was struggling with, you know, marriage in particular, and what did I think about that? And, you know, and he, he helped me separate um, the idea of, um, of, of taking sex and um, sexual act casually, which in my head, I had said, oh, you know, if you're LGBTQ, that's what you do. Sure. Um, versus the um, marriage and commitment. And um, so he said, you know, those are not two connected things, you know, and to be for um, two people that are same sex to get married is to be for commitment, to be for committed love. And, you know, you're for that, right? Yeah, I'm absolutely for that. So I could be for that, mm-hmm. even while I'm still working out um, my own stuff that I grew up around sexuality and the evangelical church and think about that. But separating some of those things out were really important to me. And then just theologically and biblically going, you know, there's two very valid points that people get to in very specific ways. Um, and you can pick one of those ways. But for me, I'm really going to go with this whole picture of um, being for commitment looking at how people are actually in you know, the science and the data around mm-hmm. how people are born and um, putting all of that together with my theological bias, which is, you know, to look at people through the lens of Jesus and to look at, you know, um, people through the lens of love and embrace. So um, putting all that together was where I just landed on, you know, fully embracing and fully including. And now, you know, now it's such a gift to, be in community, to have fellow pastors that, um, you know, range from the full spectrum. And one of my, my current coach, pastoral coach, is transgender. He's a um, pastor, um, just a first transgender person or, ordained in the PCUSA. Um, wow. And so I is love... Is a casserole coach? My, uh, what did I, no, I didn't say what pastoral coach. Oh, pastoral. Um, sorry, that's a I was like, good little okay. mainline word okay. for you. Pastoral. Um, <laughs> so... I love that my life is full of right. you know, so many yeah. different people and that um, in, in many ways they're my teachers as well as yeah. my friends. I fully agree. I, I feel this awakening has only really been recent in the past year and a half or two in regards to 
the full awareness of God being influenced by the full awareness of all people. Mm-hmm. I was really great with, you know, lesbian and gay people for a long time and you know, having a best friend who's out now who's a pastor with me. That's been so great. But the transgender community was always a little bit elusive. And, you know, I've been told all these things. There's all this mental health issues. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's rejecting how you were made in the womb and et cetera. And I was still processing all that, but as a, but I never knew a transgender mm-hmm. person, right? right? And what I hear you saying too is it's all relational. Like so much of our awareness of theology, just like awareness of Jesus, God being incarnational, it's all about like touching and feeling and listening and being with people. And so my past year has been really fascinating with just getting to know transgender people and hearing the, you know, although they're a very small percent and it's a very marginalized mm-hmm. community, wow, like that awareness of their identities has un- helped me, even non-gender God, and understand the breadth of God that I have been so limited. Like, right. I, yeah, so I, I am so right there with you. And so I, you know, encourage our listeners too, because I know for some people, they have a great fear. It feels as if we're saying, we're rejecting God's will. We're rejecting the design of God. Right. But we have to take into consideration, as you just mentioned, there's some science behind this. There's some awareness of how people are formed. And I'll tell you what has really done it for me is meeting an intersex person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to use the, um, you know, if we're going to use the scriptures of, you know, God doesn't make mistakes and someone's born, like that's their gender. Well, what about someone who's formed in the womb with two pairs of Mm -hmm. genitals, Mm -hmm. you know, male and female? What do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's just a small, well, it's still, it's, it happens. Mm -hmm. And so that must speak to us about the greater capacity that we need to embrace complexity in the human design. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then I think in seminary, we learned about like, John Wesley's quadrilateral. Do you know that? I don't. Yeah. So it's, so again, we go back and some of these things are really old. It's mm-hmm. not new. It's not like this new liberal sure. idea, but John Wesley said, when we interpret scripture, we come to theological ideas. We look at what the Bible says. We look at our experience. We mm-hmm. look at science. I don't want to look at one other thing. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the fourth is, but, but looking at this broader, you know, way of understanding truth yeah. and coming to ideas, it's not just, you know, what, what the words on the page are. There's, and there's so much um, more to be looked at. And indeed the Bible is also in in an argument with itself in many times. Yes, I love that. um, And so how do we make sense of that? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some of these things are particularly around sexuality are Mm -hmm. really recent, Mm -hmm. you know, for us in our, in our history. And we haven't always had such a binary and not Mm -hmm. all cultures have a binary. So, yeah, so some of this is humility, realizing that we're playing out things that are pretty new mm-hmm. um, and have also been placed on us um, f- within the last 50, 100, 20, mm-hmm. 200 years, you know, so. I think it does require humility, mm-hmm. but one that I haven't seen and demonstrated a lot mm-hmm. in predominant mainstream culture yeah. uh, of the church and sad. And I, I, I feel convicted because I've been a part of that culture, you mm-hmm. know. I've held up the Bible, you know, many times saying, well, this is what the word, the, the word said. Yeah, and I said it too. Gosh, <laughs> you know, and I have a hard time. It's just so tense. I have a hard time even using that phrase anymore. The word, God's word. I, I it just yeah. triggers me, <laughs> you know, and I hear other people say it and I have to, 
just step back a little bit and redefine how I engage with the Bible. I love the Bible. I love these words. I love these scripture. More like the words of humans about God. You know, I just am trying to figure out how do I still teach them and help other people engage with them and give them permission. Like I love what you said to dialogue or even to argue like it's okay to disagree with the bible because i think the des- the bible disagrees with itself right <laughs> sometimes Absolutely. right yeah. yeah so in our church we've started um you know it's more liturgical tradition so after the scriptures read we say um the person who's read says for the word of god in scripture for the word of God among us, for the word mm. of God within us. And then everyone mm. says, thanks be to God. Mm. So trying to get this idea, away from this idea that scripture equals the word right. of God. And in actually, you know, Jesus is the word of God. That's I right. Mean, that's, I love that. And that yep. That's the capital W that's word right. of God. And even um, John Stott, who's a really conservative mm-hmm. theologian, that's he wrote a whole article on that, mm-hmm. which is always what I would use, you know, um, as I was coming in the ordination process and I'd get um, questioned by some of the conservative um, people in the Presbyterian church about what I thought about the authority of scripture. It's like, well, you know, even mm. John Stott says mm-hmm. this. So it's not, you know, it's, and I think Jesus is the capital W, mm-hmm. you know, and everything else is small W. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, so what other things as a, <laughs> as a pastor, you know, can you, uh, it's like demystify mm. about how we understand God in the church and scripture? Cause you are in it, you know, and this is your life. And mm. I feel like, like so much of what we get to do is try to help people take away all the Christianese and all the things that can be just so muddled. They're like the pet peeves you have about past or other confessions, you know, <laughs> that we could learn from. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think rethinking about what church is about, what we, why we gather on a Sunday morning. Um, it's a weird space for me to mm-hmm. be, to be in one of those churches that most people drive by and kind of like, you know, has no, has no relevance to my life or is one of those old mainline churches probably has nothing to do to be, you know, my job is to show up for that every day and to keep this institution, 60 year old institution going. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm always having to wrestle with what that is because I have a lot of baggage with institutional religion myself. It's been, really painful in my Mm. life and um, I can also see how it ends up spinning its wheels and not being about what it's supposed to be about Um, so I mean for me I really see my role and this community's role as making space um, for God to show up in people's lives and I think we need intentionality around that and so going to church on a Sunday morning or um, gathering in community and making that space is important um and I think in our really individualized culture, we also need to rub up against things that we may not normally encounter. So, I mean, for me, that's one of the beautiful things about scripture is I may not like it, but mm. it's forcing me to have a conversation mm-hmm. about something that may not come up if I was just left to my own devices or just going to hang out with my friends. Um, so I, I think continue to see this really deep value. And of course, you know, here we are in the Redwoods, so people love coming here because they get to look at these trees and open up in a new way. Um, but it's, you know, it's a challenge as, as the, the impulse to church is really going away in our culture um, to continue to hold this kind of space. I, 
I've been really informed in a more liturgical way as I've made this transition. Um, I So I really love, you know, I love scripture. I love the old liturgy. Um, and I love to continue to use that. It really feeds feeds me. And I think it still has a lot of value. But more and more, it's feeling like those monks that show up every day, whether someone's there or not, to say their prayers and holding this space sacred space in the world um and often that's a hard thing about my job is sometimes it's like it doesn't matter if we've got mass popularity you know we've got some big mega churches nearby and it's Mm -hmm. hard not to feel a little threatened by some of their success um it's really about faithfulness and opening up this space and staying faithful to that so um yeah confessions are sometimes it's hard being you know representative of institutional religion and and yet I continue to believe there's a lot of value in, mm-hmm. in this space. So, Does that drive you to do anything um, when you talk about like the awareness of large megachurches mm-hmm. and competition? Do you sort of rally against doing certain things because you're like, ah, I don't want to get caught up in the, you know, like we have to have the best Christmas thing out there, right? right? I mean, how do you, how do you yeah. manage that? Well, part of it's just, you know, that's not an option for us. So, so what I love about, um, one thing that is in my family, women in my family, like we love to go in the refrigerator and just find something to make Mm. with what we have, you know, and there's a sense of like, what, how do we use the scraps of what we have to Uh make something beautiful and, um, nurturing. And I sometimes church feels like that to me, like, well, we can't offer, you know, a hundred kids at youth group on a Wednesday night, but we can offer an intergenerational community in which kids are known and, loved and, you know, and have a different kind of experience. And and also they're allowed to be in this place where we have a lot of kids who are out in various ways in our church. They have a place where a church, a church that says, we just love you the way you are and you're welcome to be here and we want to hear your story. And so we get to, we get to offer something really different. And, um, and that's, I think what I love about the creativity of being in a smaller community and uh, older community is thinking, well, what do we have? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than spending all my time wishing I had. That's cool. Yeah. These things that s- would be great, but also feel a little easy sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you have a lot of money to throw at this or that. Um, so yeah, it's true. That's not a judgment. It's just a different, well, it may be a little bit, but it's, <laughs> it's a, just a different way of being. And um, yeah. We've created this expectation in some ways that a church should have a circus provided for our children, you know, right. once or twice a week. And I think what, again, same with you, no judgment, but maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's often kind of got under my skin when I feel the expectation put on me as a pastor that it's like my job I'm getting, you know, they're giving tithe money to me. They're giving whatever money to me so that I could perform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I have a performance background, so it definitely messes with me because I, I so much think, like I hear you saying too, it's all about the relationships. Like we put so much time and so many hours a week into crafting something, you know, for a Sunday, for a, a Christmas or an Easter. And those are things that are good. But if we're in a room with people and they don't know each other and they don't know their stories and they haven't grabbed a hand and looked someone in the eye and said, how are you? But mm-hmm. how are you really? Mm-hmm. Then like, it doesn't, what good is this all doing? Right. You know? Right. So yeah, sometimes I just, I just wonder, I just wonder like how, how can we maximize that, but still feel like 
we're doing good with our buildings and, you know, I, you know, so wonder, question, future, what do you think the church is going to look like? What do you think, what change needs to come or should come or is coming? Yeah. Well, I, I really wish I knew exactly what the church is going to look like. I think we're in a very, um, much of a space where we're not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I just came back from Rwanda and, um, and that's a really interesting study for me whenever I'm there. I go off about every year or so um, to look at what what was the church doing before the genocide? You know, what was it like to be in a place that was so polarized and so divided and not, not that we will end up, God, I hope not, um, in a genocidal place as a nation. But I do feel like often that we're in that kind of a space as a country and mm. things are... Things are scary, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of where we're going and our di- national dialogue and our the way we're missing each other. So um, to me, as hard as that is, it also feels like a call to go back to kind of what the church has been in many historical times. Like, what what is our role? How do we create space um, to speak truth and stand for justice, but also to create spaces of healing and um places where people can get sustenance to be able to live in this time. I think a lot of people are traumatized right now. Mm. So I don't know like where our country is going to go with all of that. But, um, you know, I asked, I have been asking my Rwandan friends, like what, what, you know, what would advice would you have given a pastor before the genocide? You know, um, and they, m- many of them just say, you know, we needed spaces where people felt like they could see each other, know each other, be held, be reminded of who they are, um, that God loves them. And, and so, so yeah, simple, just, it's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're getting more simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do that, uh, for sure. And, um, but also we may be more and more of a countercultural space, I yeah. think, um, given where everything's going. Okay, so some some rapid fire like mm. just thoughts and um, I guess observations, but also slash confessions about the church. What what things when you think about like like the the church in general, like what do's and don'ts for the church in general? What things would you say? Oh, get let's get this out of here. Get this stuff out of here. Keep this stuff. Do this stuff. Right. Huh. <laughs> so I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. So that's not very rapid fire. I think do, you know, do create space for people's souls. Um, do create, um, do keep reminding people of who Jesus was. Um, do create spaces that are more about questions than answers. Love it. Do create spaces a lot of circles where people can look at each other and um, tell their stories. Do, I guess the do's are easier for me. Um, (laughs) Do have more silence. um, And do, do dig deep um, in what I like to think of as a broad scope of orthodoxy. You know, that there's, we have a lot of permission to play theologically and liturgically and, how we are in the world and a mission and all of that um, because of this very deep and broad tradition we have. And a lot of times we get stuck in one lane rather than using all of our resources. Um, that's enough. That's good, yeah. Any don'ts? Anything? <laughs> well, you could put on the other side. Don't get stuck in one <laughs> okay, lane. Okay. Don't keep talking. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, um, 
don't be the only voice, you know, um, mm. let Get other people, people talk. Preach yeah. And speak. Um, so I think yep. that those are really, you know, bring in a multiplicity of voices. <coughs> I think that makes me, uh, want to tell people who are looking for churches or who are a part of churches if you have the same person, especially if that's a white man speaking all the time, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, that like at least have two or three different people peppered in there uh, for those Sunday gatherings. And they at least should be at least one woman who's peppered in there on a regular basis. If not, that congregation will just be slanted. I've told my congregation the same thing. Like, you don't want me speaking every week. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I'm bored with me speaking right. every week. You don't want me speaking every week. Not only because it's not good for me, but it's not good for you as the church. We need different voices and different gender voices. Right. And stop using the word biblical. I hate that word. Because mm. <laughs> I think there's really no, there's nothing that you can say. I mean, there's very few things that, uh, that's just like we were saying, the Bible has a, is a uh-huh. whole conversation yeah. of itself. A biblical marriage, biblical right. uh, It's just like conflict. that word does not mean anything. Interesting. That's um, a good point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think get rid of that phrase, the Bible clearly says, because it doesn't mm-hmm. clearly say anything. Mm-hmm. Let's admit that. And I think everything you said, Jenny, too, I would think you could put as an individual, right? So seek to make space quietly on your own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, seek to be a part of uh, circle conversations where you're not just always sitting in a row. Like, you know, if you're just going to a building and you sit in a row and you leave, that's not good for you as the individual. Right. Find ways to get around a table and be in small groups mm-hmm. and, you know, do do different things that are going to help you mm-hmm. um, share your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever sung a song that you just can't sing anymore either because it's like you're over it, like the lyrics drive you nuts, mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything for you anymore, anything like that? Right. So Secret Confessions, I still have, you know this playlist on my phone where it's like all my old Amy Grant (laughs) (laughs) that I pull out because I am very much a product of 1980s evangelicalism. Um, And yeah, there's a lot of songs I can't do. I mean, really anything about, um, you know, Jesus blood saving us. Uh um, That would be something I can, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh Yeah. Um, Anything that's really codependent, like, you know, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like the boyfriend songs at all. I like Jesus, God is my lover. Jesus is my boyfriend. Yeah. God is my lover. Yeah. Um, Say more about that. Why? Um, well, I think there is a gender thing with that, you mm-hmm. know, or particularly for me as a young woman, there was this whole thing about, you know, Jesus is your bridegroom and wedding yourself to God. Mm. And, um, and so, but I, I, I don't know. I think it just, it puts us in a, um, I mean, God is, God is our breath and God is our sustenance. Um, but some of that language just feels really kind of weak and, Mm. um, and, um, in the, in the weak definition of femininity Mm -hmm. rather than the strength of it. Um, Mm So, yeah. There was that old song uh, from Song of Solomon. It was taken like, his love is a banner over me, a banner over you. Oh, right. <laughs> I remember singing that and at one yeah. point realizing like what we were singing about. Right. And like we were singing like the sexual like song, you know, to God. Oh, right. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we just, we, yeah, sometimes I can't even sing Amazing Grace with the whole like, I was a wretch, I am a wretch. 
because it right. reminds me of like how we like to flog ourselves. Yeah. We, you know, love to feel bad. Yeah. And we're worms, but God is so great. I am nothing. Right. You know, so I love when churches take the lyrics and change them up. I do that with when I sing Jesus Loves Me to my kids. I don't say that, you know, I say instead of we are, they are weak and he is strong. I'm like, they are strong and he is strong. You know what yeah. I mean? Or still, yeah. I just like to change it up a little bit, yeah. you know, and I'll probably change it up again, you know, another decade from now. But those things mean something sometimes to different parts of our life and I don't feel comfortable singing them yeah. anymore. And I try wherever I can to use, you know, either gender neutral language or, or mix it up, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. And so more songs with more different kinds of images yeah. of God um, is so important. I love so. that. The church I'm with now, they they introduced me to singing she as God. Mm-hmm. And I remember at first it was so different for me, but mm-hmm. now I love it. Yeah, it's powerful. So powerful. Okay, any other final just things you would say about like the, the do's and don'ts for men to be aware of in regards to how we talk about women, how we talk mm. about women in the church, how we talk about just women in general, things that we could go like, you know what, just rethink this phrase, rethink this thing you do or you, this thing that you assume. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I think... Um I think really thinking about the fact that uh, most of us who are coming into these roles in the church did not grow up getting what you got, mm. you know? Um, I mean, I was I was asked to speak occasionally to my youth group, but um, I remember, you know, they were a lot harder on me about um, what I was saying rather than, you know, the the handsome guy who was the homecoming king. Um, so, so women come with, a lot of us come with just baggage around having been not given places mm-hmm. of authority, having not known um, how, to, how to lead and how to do all those things. And so it, I think um, whether it's, I think in my case, people don't always know how I'm feeling inside. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, I felt like that 13-year-old, you know, conservative evangelical girl who really had no idea what I was doing, didn't know how to be a pastor, didn't know how to um, take some authority and move it forward. And that's something that I've continued to have to learn to do is how to to embody my own authority. Mm-hmm. Um, because in all of the situations that I grew up in, I was not prepared for that. Um, so I think... Um, there's also really beautiful things that can come out of that because we see things differently and we're going to approach things differently. Um, but recognizing that, you know, for a lot of women, there's a lot of growth happening um, and a lot of, and they, we need, you know, some affirmation mm-hmm. to be told, you know, yeah, this is really your gift or mm-hmm. you know, a lot of invitations to step into things because we just weren't given those and wouldn't even think often to take them for ourselves. Right. Um, so, yeah. More invitation. That's great. Makes me think about the cheesy Christian stumbling block phrase. But men, you know, we can be a stumbling block to women Mm. in this area or we can hold the door open and step back. I think, you know, just speaking to men who are listening to the podcast, we need to give women more. Now, they don't need our permission, but more opportunities. Right. Yeah, it's not. It's sadly that, you know, we still need invitations, but yep. even when we don't need it technically yep. in the authority structure, um, 
there's just a lot of healing that's yeah, happening healing. often. And it's healing for both of us, right? Sure. Because it's also really beautiful to sure. be in a, a partnership with men and women or across other divides and really mm-hmm. be able to have on, honest conversations. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm so grateful for the many men in my life and um, who have become wonderful friends and awesome. really invited me into leadership. Um, yeah, so... And for the women listening, mm. I guess I just would love you to say anything to them. But I feel like, as Amanda's saying, I'm so sorry. I, I want to keep saying this because we, I hear you saying there's healing that needs to happen. And it's because of things that men have done. And maybe we haven't done it necessarily personally, but we represent a lot of that authority mm-hmm. and, um, and the harm that has been done and the, mm-hmm. the privilege and authority mm-hmm. that we are just have inherently has mm-hmm. been a wall that many women mm-hmm. have had to come up against. And that just makes me so sad. So I hear you saying you've been doing your own healing. You've got your own stuff from the mm-hmm. past that is still, you know, growing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, ongoing, but anything you'd want to say to the women who have to feel like they're advocating for themselves or they're trying to make their, their, their way in this space. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to take your own healing seriously, um, to keep and to keep moving forward, to look for spaces um, and prioritize spaces in which your voice is welcome, um, to risk um, hurting some people and disappointing some people um, along the way in order to, to find your voice. Um, but also to be gentle with yourself and with others, recognizing we're all on our own journey. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I was the last person that you would have thought <laughs> would be a pastor. I mean, I had, I was, I was so con- completely, like my college dorm room was, you know, covered in Laura Ashley roses and I was, like I said, listening to Amy Grant, and I mean, all I wanted to do was, you know, to be a missionary, and um, was pretty, you know, passive, Um, so it's been a a journey of a lot of really tiny steps of courage, Mm. Um, but I think also just finding those people that are in your corner, and the people that can keep listening to you until you find your own, can hear your own voice, um, you know, whether it's a therapist or a spiritual director, a good friend or a, a pastor who um, just keeps listening and keep make, keeps making space for you to heal and to find to find that place. But, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And if you are a pastor in the Bay Area and feels if you need that space and that healing, both Jenny and I were a part of an organization mm-hmm. called Soul Care. It's a nine-month experience with a bunch of other pastors, men and women, and it's so good for your soul. And so if you find yourself going, you know what, I need to take care of myself, uh, look that up, Soul Care. Well, I'll put a link for that in the show notes, or you can reach out to me on social media and I can get you connected because that would be great. And Jenny, how can people find you or find your church, Valley Press? Right. So 945 Portola Road in Portola Valley. One thing I love about our church is the sanctuary is open 24 7. And um, any time of the night? Anytime. People someone can here? drop by and pray. Um, no. You just trust people. Yeah. Whoa. Um, well, I cool. love this, I love the story of the church. They said what I was told is someone stole something out of the sanctuary, and the response was, "Let's just leave it open all the time." Um, so they've 
So people, I come, I've come at seven in the morning and there's been a candle lit. So people use this space to pray and it's a really holy, wow. sacred space. Yeah. So I'm going to come here at the crack of dawn or <laughs> the middle of the night sometime. That is so cool. And we have a labyrinth. And uh, so I just, I just always encourage people in the Bay Area, like, and pastors particularly, come and spend the day here. Come and take a retreat. You're welcome to be here. We'd love to have you. And you don't even need to book the space, but you're welcome to call us if, you know, you need something special. But this... I think that's one thing. We're not in the middle of the inner city. You know, we're not, it's not a good place for a food pantry. It's not a good place for a homeless ministry, but it is a really good space for people to come and renew and refresh. And so that's one thing we can offer. Wow. We will put the website and pictures on social media so you can see that. That's really cool. Do you have a personal social media handle you want to put out there or no? Oh, right. Well, um, you can read my blog, which is occasionally updated at JennyWarner.com. Cool. And you can always uh, listen to our sermons. We're podcasted Valley Presbyterian Church. So, awesome. yeah, find me. Thank you, Jenny. No problem. That's Thanks. great. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.